Wolf moon, snow moon, worm moon, pink moon, flower moon, strawberry moon. This swimming pod podcast is devoted to moon swimming or night swimming by the light of the full moon. If you haven't already swum outdoors in full moonlight, you must. It's one of life's unbuyable pleasures. There are 12 full moon opportunities a year, and although the clouds or the rain can sometimes put a spoiler on things, you can come away having experienced at the very least a change in routine, often through a sense of wonder with the world. All it takes is a full moon and some open water to swim in and some friends to share it with. I experienced a very strange full moon outing just recently and want to share that with you. But I also want to share my very first ever full moon swim and also an amazing solo moon swim at the Lido in Venice. Almost swimming in the pink and purple light of the ocean there. So my experience of three moon swims, I've got many more, starting with my first ever moon swim in the Thames at Dorchester in Oxfordshire. And then my recent strange dip at Port Meadow in Oxford. And finally, my swim up the moon ladder at the Lido in Venice, which is really a beach. If you don't know what a moon ladder is now, you will by the end of the podcast. My very first moon swim. The first time I came to swim here in the Thames at Dorchester was several years ago. And I was so keen to be on time that I was far too early. That had been on a Friday night and I was mindful of being slowed down or delayed in the rush hour Oxford ring road traffic. On that evening there was somehow very little traffic and I arrived at this very rural lay-by before anybody else was there. You know the anxiety of turning up first at a place you don't know? That you don't know if you're in the right place or not? Well, that was me. Was I in the right place? Maybe this was a regular drug-dealing lay-by that serviced the needs of adolescents in rural South Oxfordshire. All of this and more was churning in my idling, waiting, anxious mind. Maybe this is like waiting for a rave to start. I didn't know. I've never been to a rave. But I know how it starts. I picture it. It's Friday night, and you're waiting in a lay-by for some kind of signal of where to go and rave the night away. I'm guessing it must be like. I could be completely wrong, of course. That night, for distraction's sake, waiting, I looked for some techno music on the car radio and didn't find any. Some a failed raver. I've always preferred a good night's sleep to dancing the night away. I always have. I found the techno music, though, invented it in my head. A booming loop, a heavy beat, to the heavy beat of my anxious heart. Then a car pulled up. Not a drug dealer. But John, I recognised him. He's in his sixties. Not a drug dealer. Then another car. Then another, and another, and another. And then Chris, the guy who organised the swim, was there apologising for being late. After meetings and greetings and shakings of hands and huggings, the short walk to where the swim would be was what we did next. Organising our bags, bearing picnics and swim togs, the assembled moon swim group walked the path across the long grass meadow to a small beach on the River Thames, at a point in the river which is perfectly positioned for sunset and moonrise. Chris was joking and fooling around, this being the jovial overlay to his very serious and solid side. We changed by the small beach of soft sand, Raph, Adam, Alice, Chris, Sharon, me and a couple of other people whom I didn't yet know. 
Chris pulled out a handful of glow sticks to mark the get-in and get-out spot and hand them around. Each swimmer looping a glow stick through their goggles or carried them on their wrists. We got in the water and soon we were swimming upriver into the setting sun. Maybe a kilometre or so upstream, everybody stopped and then we swam back again into what was then the rising moon as it glowed steadily more strongly in the glowing dark, putting on a bright orange-yellow show as it rose above the horizon. It was a complete experience of touch in the water, of sight of the moon, and of Chris and other swimmers howling at the moon. Not a rave, not real, something in between, like a midsummer night's dream of a swim. The second moon swim I'm going to talk about now is my most recent one and speaks to the weird atmosphere that can accompany a moon swim as you bask in the moonlight, casting mood shadows. A full moon swim madness in the Thames at Port Meadow in Oxford. That night there were six moons in total. How could moons multiply so? There was the one in the sky, and there were those of myself and four other people, buck naked, standing thigh deep in the water. It seemed right that night to swim naked while howling at the moon. The decision being made at the stump of the dodo tree, which is now regrowing some shoots after having been shot down by a lightning strike earlier in the year. I was going to call by there a few days later, after the lightning strike back then, to see if I could pick up a relic of the dodo tree, some lightning struck branch, some small relic. But Neil told me it was gone, all gone, taken down by the city council and turned into wood chips. I thought then these wood chips, these remains of this sacred tree, would be scattered around Port Meadow. Of course, nothing stays the same, but the remains of the dodo tree I imagine now to be spread wide, while the tree now is itself regrowing. That night we met at 11pm, with the idea of swimming soon after. The moon was rising, splendidly. We could see it along the track. We discussed moon names as we went along the track to the reviving dodo tree. This particular full moon was a buck moon, which is about it coming at the time of year when male deer antlers grow fastest. That's at least in the UK. Some Native American groups call it the same thing, but see it as a warning of coming lightning. That lightning being too late for the dodo tree. I wasn't actually swimming that night because I'd come off my bicycle and torn skin off one of my elbows. If you get a big injury and you're getting into water that might contain bacteria, you don't want to risk it getting infected, worse than it is already. The wound wasn't deep, but the injury was recent and it was healing, but still weeping and covered by sticking plaster. I could not get it wet with river water in case of infection. I hadn't swum for over a week since the accident, and I was missing going swimming, I was missing the company of swimmers. This full moon swim was too good of a gig to let go of, and so I went to it with the intention of standing in the water with the hope of seeing the moon as I did so. Because it was night, I brought a glow stick, one of those camping ones that shine bright. Having undressed in the dark moon still low, now behind a tree, we five people gathered that night, descended down the small beach into the River Thames. Those of you who've swum at Oxford, at Port Meadow, would know it. I went last, intending to crack the glow stick into light once in the water, to mark the place for the others to get out at the end of the swim. I did so, cracked the glow stick, and it took a brief moment before it glowed brighter than I imagined. Brighter, brighter still, bringing into light, and bringing into view the four full moons in front of me, getting into the water the fifth full moon being mine, and the sixth full moon being in the sky, a buck moon and five buck-naked moons. 
there we were, in the river at Port Meadow. There was nobody else around, and no one was looking, so it didn't seem to matter. Soon we were all in the water, looking around, deciding what to do. While the other four agreed to swim upstream, I announced my intention of standing there, up to my neck, with my injured arm in the air, holding the bright light of the glow stick in the air, not getting my injured arm wet. As I swam off, I stood upright, with a light in my raised hand, a sort of statue of liberty, there to welcome those returning from the swim. They went. I stood, arm in the air, keeping my elbow dry, glow stick bright, but Port Meadow lit brighter now by the light of the buck moon. I fell into a reverie, and somehow, without thinking, started to twirl gently on one leg, twirling around maybe ten times through 360 degrees, arm with light still high in the air. Once I'd done that, I twirled in the other direction, on the other leg, maybe ten times. I repeated the process, again, on the other leg. In my own mental space, silk water moving around my body, moon now dappling a little light on the water where I could see it. And then, the four who'd swum upstream met a gaggle of geese and then a gaggle of swans, as I could hear them in the distance, chatting. Me, glow stick still held high, I was gently twirling on one leg, and I met a gaggle of maybe a dozen adolescents after a night's reverie by the river. One of them was carrying a torch. They were going past, they noticed that I was in the river, but I didn't know what to do. And what I ended up doing made no sense whatsoever. I switched the glow stick from hand to hand and dipped it deep in the water in front of me, hoping for the light to go out, or at least be diminished. The teenager shone his torch at me, trying to work out what he was looking at. Me, that's what it turned out to be. He was looking at me, buck naked, in the water, glow stick shining as bright in the water as it had been in my upraised arm as the Statue of Liberty, giving a new meaning to the term glow stick. When you have nothing else left, at least you have your dignity. I didn't even have my dignity. One of the teenagers called out, wondering what it was, what I was, in the river. I was lost for words, better to say nothing, which is what I did. Frozen to the spot, like a non-performing performance artist, like living sculpture, frozen in the water. They were confused, not even amused, looking around, scratching their heads. What is it? They quickly bored of me and they moved on. Moments later I heard, then saw, the outlines of tonight's four swimmers coming back. I resumed as the Statue of Liberty, seeing them in from river to shore. Once in, we talked of dignity as I told them of my glow-stick encounter. One of our party said that she has her plan if she's sprung naked on the river bank. For example, if someone were to steal her clothes here on Port Meadow, her plan would be to swim up to the perch pub, go in with dignity and announce that her kit has been stolen and that she would stand dignified if naked and demand a towel, a hot chocolate and a taxi. They could not, they would not refuse that. So that was the evening then, all over soon after midnight, ending fully clothed with hot drinks and cake, with chatter and conversation and lit up by the light of the moon on the river bank. The full moon had shone bright on the water, Five moons did bright moon greet, and I will never again think of glow sticks in the same way. The third full moon swim I recounted as a lone full moon swim at the Lido in Venice. The Lido in Venice is really a 10 kilometer long beach on the outer island of Venice facing onto the Adriatic. 
This was an evening swim where I felt I was bathing in the liquid light of Venice as the sun set and the moon rose. Venice, say it softly. A sad, marvellous boat ride across the lagoon in a crumbly, disintegrated chalk and pink-grey and blue way. I witnessed the slow, wonderful sun dipping in the sky against a decaying and mournful cityscape. The sun is now dripping gold, pink and a grey onto the water's surface. To the back of the boat, back to the spires and cupolas of the city, there's the very image of a Turner painting of the Venice Lagoon, and I indulge myself with the thought that maybe Turner is following me from the Thames to the lagoon. And on the other side of the spit of land, the world's first Lido, the moon is there, set to rise. There's a short walk across what seems to be the main street of the Lido, lined with expensive shops, pizza and ice cream, as well as some decent-looking restaurants and Art Nouveau hotels and houses. There is everything you might want on holiday here, but what I want desperately now is a swim. I pass more hotels, big ones, top of the range for the 1920s. These are quite shabby now, in a seaside sort of way. The grand shabby hotel, the once fabulous Hotel de Bain, boarded up and awaiting reinvention as ocean view apartments. This was a place that Thomas Mann had stayed in regularly, at the Grand Shabby Hotel. He made it the setting for his short novel, A Death in Venice. There's more walking before I can get into the water. Another short walk, this time along the Marconi waterfront, and then over a sandbank, several meters high and stretching the length of the Lido. I thought back to my last visit to Venice last springtime. As a surreal image, it's up there with Salvador Dali. I had been in the Grand Café La Vena in a spring-tide flooded St. Mark's Square. The Grand Café was, of course, lapping in flood water. I had rolled up my trousers and waded in with my sneakers on, figured that they could dry out later. I went there because this is where the composer Richard Wagner used to go. It was his favourite café in 19th century Venice. It was early evening and Aperol spritz time. I entered the café to the sight of elegantly dressed women and men attending the bar, livid cochineal orange drinks in hand, chiquetti snacks to hand. Looking down, I saw no fine shoes, but gumboots, not even elegant gumboots, protecting fine clothes from the several centimetres of water that lapped around otherwise elegant ankles. Lapping around the marble floor of this very finely decorated Art Nouveau café, this seemed to be business as usual, Venetian style. Nobody seemed to notice apart from me. This thought carried me the last metres to the water. At the peak of the sandbank, I stopped to admire the very real ocean into the pink-grey distance, with the full moon now rising above the horizon. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, the Lido was a playground for the rich and famous. The first sea-bathing facility was built here in 1857. The Lido lent its name to other bathing facilities, mostly outdoor pools in the decades that followed, especially in the United Kingdom. Now at the jetty, staring at the moon in the civil twilight, anticipating the swim but lingering, soaking in the magical light, People are assembling, strolling along the jetty, enjoying the soft breeze and cooling air in the liquid light. I sit down on one of the many large white rocks leading to the water, pink-white in the evening light, and put away the day into my swim bag. Are you? Yes, I reply to a curious white-trousered onlooker. Swimming, that is. I very soon will be.
not wasting words, but focused on seeing the light and the water change almost minute by minute. I walked to the end of the smooth concrete paving and onto the warm marble rock blocks. Pinker, yet pinker now, close to high tide but not quite yet, judging how best to get in without scraping a knee or a toe. Pretty well straight into deep enough water, up to my shoulders. I swim out into the ocean, maybe a couple of hundred metres, easing my limbs as the gentle waves massage my shoulders. Serene swimming, eyes closed, heads up, then eyes open again to see how much the light has changed. The water of the Serene Republic is going almost nowhere, not in, not out, lapping and lazy, relaxing between tides. I lie with my head back, not sure if I'm in water or in sky, surrounded by, immersed in, pinkness, the water, the clouds, me. The moon is fully up and throwing down a faint moon ladder. I can't resist. I must. I do. I swim to the moon, up the moon ladder. The ladder grows longer and stronger as twilight deepens to mauve and purple. Bathing in purple, I look back to the jetty, now maybe 400 meters away. Maybe this is enough for now. Maybe this is recklessly too far. I still want to swim up that moon ladder, and it entices me, but I know it's fatal if I go too far. I start to swim back, with a slight urgency, slight panic. What if I've gotten the tide wrong? Stronger now, a little crawl, but still the water offers little resistance. This is reassuring, as the sky and the water deepen in purple. Swimming back is easy, steady, steady, approaching the jetty. Soon enough, still visible in what light remains, I swim to one side of it, seeking the easiest foot purchase on the warm marble rock. Getting out turns out to be straightforward, as what waves as there are are too lazy to cause any imbalance. Changing on the jetty, reflecting on the water, on the swim. The swim was languid, warm, pleasant, as lazy as the water, bathing in pink and purple. Total change and liquid, stranger, yet because they were real. I talked as I changed with the young couple who'd been watching me swim back. They were visitors from the United States who were staying at an hotel here at the Lido. I was trying at that time to swim in 65 different places at the age of 65 years, something I succeeded in doing. And they insisted that we pray together. They sought God's blessings for my swims. It seemed somehow right, holding hands and praying there on the Lido waterfront. I thanked them. Walking back to the Vaporetto was a return to everyday life. Crossing the lagoon on the river bus, I gazed now at the moon and imagined a cow jumping over it. Hey diddle diddle, the cat and the fiddle, the cow jumped over the moon. I was myself over the moon, in quiet joy of having swum at the world's first Lido. These are three stories of the moon and the water. I'm sure you have many more. And if you don't have stories of the moon and the water, you should start collecting them now. Thank you for listening.